So a man that identifies himself as the preacher says this, vanity, everything is vanity, or meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He says this over and over and over. And Ecclesiastes commentator says, the writer of Ecclesiastes picks up our own questions, which are, can you cope with life without having any idea where you are going? You don't have all the answers to life's enigmas, do you? Your neo-pagan view of life doesn't give you any hope of achieving very much, does it? Nature will not answer your questions and you are bored by it anyway. History baffles your attempts to understand it. You don't like to think about your own death, yet it is the most certain fact about your existence. Isn't that last, that, that last quote just so perfect? You don't like to think about your own death, yet it is the most certain fact about your existence. So welcome to part three called life. So before I talk about Ecclesiastes and meaning, I want to talk about death and hell on earth. Do you remember the Holocaust, Hitler, Nazis, the concentration camps that killed up to six million Jews? How could we ever forget that? We want to forget it. We wish it never happened, but it did. And millions lost their lives for what? Was there any meaning in that? So in tough situations, people love to quote the Bible. They love to just throw Christian cliches out there as if they're doing such a great deed. So like in tough situations like the Holocaust, could you see someone really saying, oh, Jeremiah 29:11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. I mean, can you really see someone telling a prisoner in the Holocaust that verse? And also, I don't think we should be quoting that verse to those that are going through suffering because it meant God put them there to suffer to begin with. Because let's talk about some backstory of Jeremiah 29, 11. God told the Israelites that they would be held captive in a wretched place for 70 years. So when God said, I know the plans I have for you, he was reminding the Israelites of the plan to be held captive because the Israelites were trying to escape God's plan. So we must not just throw these verses out there or throw these cliches out there as if we're doing anyone a favor. Because what you might really be doing is saying, God is putting you in this suffering, um, which I don't think is always the case. So when we quote cliche verses, I wonder if God is thinking, wait, I actually have nothing to do with that. I actually have nothing to do with causing the Holocaust. But at the same time, we can quote Jeremiah 29, 11, because in that case, the Israelites were so concerned about the exterior and God wanted to bring them back to their roots, to what was really important, which wasn't discovering meaning in the exterior, but living with the knowledge of the meaning in their own identity. I believe God has given us the power and ability to look beyond external by tapping into our true identity as I mentioned in part two. We sometimes get so confused because we think life is about discovering heaven on earth according to exterior things when our responsibility is to release heaven on earth from within. So let's go back to the Holocaust. Have you heard of Viktor Frankl? He was a survivor of the death camps at Auschwitz. He lived a greater hell on earth than we could ever imagine. He saw the deaths of his own family and friends. And while he was all alone in the midst of suffering, he understood the power of choosing life. 
Franco said that he noticed that those who held onto their sense of purpose or meaning survived longer than those who lost hope. So reading the story of Victor Franco, it reminded me of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness of the desert. God told them, you have the power to choose life or death. In your circumstance, you decide the outcome. And those who decided to ignore the divine ended up dying without seeing the promised land. And those few who chose life in their circumstance entered the promised land. Viktor Frankl said this, quote, Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstance, to choose one's own way. In concentration camps, we watched and witnessed some of our comrades behave like swine, while others behave like saints. Man has both potentialities within himself. After all, man is the being who has invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. However, he is also that being who has entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer." End quote. In moments of hell on earth, we can hold on to truth instead of putting our trust in the confusion of the exterior. So in this series of light, love, and life, we learn that it is about being held up by the voice of God and intimately loved by that creator, that the label of which the divine makes known is the most important thing of which we should operate and see the world, that any other label or external circumstance do not compare meaning everything else is meaningless. In Ecclesiastes, it is said over and over, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's almost like a mantra. Maybe it is. Maybe that should be our mantra. So this preacher writes over and over and over that everything is meaningless. He says, your occupation, your income, your savings account, your education, your wisdom, your pleasures, your homes, your cars, what is evil, bad things. What happens in your short little life on this planet Earth is meaningless. The preacher writes, everything is meaningless and nothing is new under the sun. Under the sun is a symbol of time, which means your time on this planet will pass and nothing will ever be new. I understand, yeah, we live in the year 2018. A lot of new things have been invented compared to a few thousand years ago when this text was written. For example, iPhones, which is exactly my point. So a couple months ago, a new iPhone came out with new features, right? But in a few months, a new iPhone will come out with new features. And the iPhone that is out now, that is so new, will become outdated and old. And the cycle will continue year after year after year until another new invention comes to surface, which will one day be outdated once again. Do you remember when the first iPod came out? Today, those things are dinosaurs. They were once new and innovative, but over time they became old, just like everything. But maybe your thing isn't iPhones. Maybe it's cars or homes or surfboards or Nintendo games or something. Do you understand that all those things will end up in the trash? Christmas is in a few weeks. Everything that you get as gifts will become old and boring and ultimately wound up in the trash can. That new thing will become old and we will need something new to replace it. And then something else. And then something else. And then next year for Christmas, we want something else. There is nothing truly new under the sun. We keep chasing after new 
and improved things. The preacher says, it's like we're chasing after the wind. But you know what really comes from these inventions or temporary new things? Greed, pride, fight for power, wars, oppression, injustice, and of course, pollution and the imminent threat of global warming. And you can say, well, what about Tesla cars? They came out with new inventions to be environmentally friendly. That's new. Uh, I don't really think so. A study showed that environmentally friendly cars actually have the highest potential for destroying the environment in the production process. And of course, some scientists believe that electric cars causes cancer. Isn't it funny? Doesn't everything seem like it causes cancer? From the things we eat to the things that we drive to the things that we wear. Yeah, there are new discoveries and inventions, but they'll just get old and outdated. And many of those things actually lead to more problems in the end. I think part of what the preacher is saying in Ecclesiastes isn't that life itself is meaningless, but what is meaningless is when we spend our life searching to find meaning in what we do or what we are able to obtain, when meaning has always been there from the beginning. Viktor Frankl said this, This striving to find a meaning in one's own life is the primary motivational force in man. The meaning of our existence is not invented by ourselves, but rather detected. Do you remember in part two, I talked about identity. The younger son went out to find what he thought he wanted, but returned to the father's house when he realized that nothing else mattered. And the older son, he thought that he could gain everything, and he was blinded to the fact that he had everything in front of him the entire time. A life of meaning cannot be obtained or acquired because it is something you've always had from the beginning of time. In fact, it's something you've always had vibrating in your being outside of time and space altogether, like I mentioned in part one. Instead of searching for meaning in external things, realize who you are and what you have in the Father's house. In Ecclesiastes, a preacher says over and over and over that everything under the sun is meaningless. And he also says that the light of which the sun produces is sweet and pleasant. The preacher is saying the time that we have right now in this present moment should be enjoyed. Take satisfaction now in this present moment. Realize that you have already arrived, that everything that you want in life is already there within you right now. You don't need to search any longer, but come aware to the identity that you have in the divine that is truly all you really want. So the preacher writes, Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. This present moment right now is what matters. By the way, the word wine in the original language means fermented grape juice, aka an alcoholic beverage. Just to clear that up for some people who don't know what that means. <clears throat> But it doesn't mean it's an invitation to indulge in every pleasure possible because the preacher actually calls that lifestyle madness, not just meaningless. So this is an invitation to responsibly enjoy life right now with the divine who is in all things. Ecclesiastes isn't a book of negativity towards life itself. Rather, it is a book about wisdom and freedom to be who you truly are in the eyes of the divine, to be engulfed by this love that the Creator has for His creation. I mentioned Christmas and gifts and how everything that you get this year will be thrown away because it will just get old and boring. But every year we still give, we still celebrate because the joy isn't really found in the objects itself, but the underlining factor in the reason why we celebrate Christmas. 
we celebrate the birth of Jesus. In that moment, we celebrate the one who identified with God's label so well. We celebrate the one who came to earth to show us what love looks like. So no wonder Christmas is the most joyous time on earth because we're celebrating the one who came to earth to show us what life is really about. Jesus knew his identity and meaning. He never allowed external circumstance to persuade him. He remained upright even up until death. He is the example of what it means to be identified in the Father's love. He saw the world and operated according to that identity. At the end of Ecclesiastes, the preacher writes the summary of the entire book. He writes, quote, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. End quote. Do you remember that story when someone asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was? And Jesus responded, The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and prophets hang on these two commandments. Like I mentioned over and over in part two, we are commanded by the Son of God to wake up to this realization of who we truly are. We are told by a preacher that everything external that can be achieved or obtained is meaningless in comparison. We are taught in the parable of the prodigal sons that we cannot lose this divine identity no matter what we do. We are told by the Father to wake up and realize who we truly are and what we truly have to operate and see the world in that identity. We have life in its purest form. Everything else is a distraction to that identity. So Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book because it proclaims freedom. Freedom to enjoy the present by holding loosely to external circumstances, situations, history, time, money, possessions, work, failures or accomplishments, etc. When you realize that everything else is meaningless, you stop chasing after those things. You stop chasing after the mundane and you free yourself from the enslavement of worries and anxieties and stress because you focus on what really matters in life. You realize that in this moment you were created out of love to dwell in the presence of the divine. With this freedom, you see the world in all its beauty. You will begin to see God vibrating in all things. Whether good or bad, God may not be the cause of it, but he is still there reminding you of how much you mean to him. That right now, in this present moment, the only thing that matters is to love God and to love others and to be present in the presence of the divine. This will bring so much meaning and joy to your life that nothing else will matter, that everything else will seem meaningless to the one thing that brings the most meaning to your life, which is dwelling in the presence of the one that loves you more than anything. Because ultimately, this leads to enjoying life right now in its purest form. Sadly, what happens is that we forget the voice that spoke us into existence, that continually whispers that we are his beloved. And if we ignore that voice, we will never have meaning in our life. We will search for meaning by accumulating possessions and earning more powerful labels when those things can actually become distractions and pollution to the purest form of life. Possessions and labels aren't entirely bad, but if you are finding meaning in those things, you might be disappointed in the end. When we take hold of the concept that we are held up by the voice of God and intimately loved by Him, we have meaning. We have arrived. Everything that our soul searches for is right here in front of us right now. All that is left for us to do is to enjoy the celebration, to enjoy living in the Father's house, to live life with the knowledge that the divine is in you and around you all the time. 
Life isn't about discovering heaven on earth. It is about releasing heaven on earth by holding loosely to external circumstances and holding tight to your identity in the divine. All that is left to do now is to enjoy life with the divine.